everybody. Singing sounds good in here this morning. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Patrick, for that uh, table talk and the thought you put into that. I want to welcome our guest. Uh, as we always say, you're an honored guest. Uh, we're happy to have you with us here this morning. And if there's any questions that you have about our worship service or why we do what we do here at Lincoln Park, let us know. And we'd love to be able to have that opportunity to explain that to you and answer those questions. Today we're going to get into part two of our, of our series on the resurrection. If you guys remember uh, last week, we uh, looked to answer the question. We looked to answer really a couple of questions last week. But we, I talked about how last week there's two times a year where as we, uh, in, in the Christian dumb, if you will, there's two times a year when family members, friends, maybe even co-workers are a little bit more uh, apt to talk about religious things. What, what two times a year do you think that is? Christmas and Easter. Have you ever noticed Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter seem to be just a little bit more, uh, your congregation seem to be a little bit more uh, full, right? The, there's a few more uh, uh, people in the pews. And so, you know, the, those two times a year are, are really important. And it's important because as Christians, we are living in a more hostile, um, a hostile society to Christianity. More and more of our people and our governments uh, and our, our communities are becoming more and more hostile to Christianity, to the teachings of Jesus, to the Bible, and to, well, the conservative movement, if you will. And so we must be willing and able to, to explain to our friends, explain to our family members, the significance of the Lord's resurrection. Amen? And so we understand that the power of the resurrection, we understand that's the power of the gospel. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the foundation of the Christian system. We know that because the Apostle Paul teaches us that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first four or five verses. And so brethren, if there is no uh, resurrection, as I said last week, well, Christianity is a hoax. If there's no resurrection, we're wasting our time and we might as well go back home. But the fact of the matter is, the truth is, there is and there was a resurrection. And it's undisputable. There was a professor uh, of, of world, uh, world renowned, a historian, and he once said that Christ's resurrection is the best attested fact in human history. His name is uh, Thomas Arnold. And so this being the case, we looked to answer the question last week, what is the significance of the uh, resurrection? Why Jesus had to resurrect? Why did he resurrect and then uh, stick around for another 40 days? We looked to answer those questions last week. We talked about how uh, for nearly 2,000 years that Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. And his apostles, as he was ascending back into heaven, they were watching in amazement. They were watching in amazement, uh, and then an angel appears next to him, saying, Men of Galilee, why are you staring into the heavens? For this man, Jesus, whom you have watched ascend, it will be coming in like manner. And so we know that Jesus, before he ascended back, he gave, he gave instructions to his disciples. He gave instructions to the apostles to go back to Jerusalem, to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait for the, for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And so we see that in the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. So last week, that's pretty much what we covered in part one. In part two of the series, we're going to start to now really look to answer the question and see what the importance is of the sign of Jonah. And I have it on the screen behind me, and I know it was just read for uh, our Bible reading this morning. But I want you to look at this, because this is the crux of our sermon here this morning. 
What is the nature, what is the importance of the sign of Jonah? And what did Jesus mean in, in, in what he said here in Matthew chapter 12? In these couple of verses here, it says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees had, uh, said to him, Teacher, we, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a miracle from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation, they crave for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. And it goes on to say, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Brothers and sisters, the Jewish leaders, they confronted Jesus, demanding a sign. This isn't the first time that these leaders confronted Jesus, is it? No, it's not the first time. They were always asking for a sign. But because in Matthew chapter 12, in the beginning of this chapter, we see that Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. We see that he healed a man with a withered hand. We see in, in Matthew chapter 12 that he cast out the demons. Uh, he cast out the demons and also of the, of the man who was both uh, deaf, uh, uh, mute and deaf. And so we see that he healed him. And so Jesus was doing miracles. It says in Matthew chapter 12, when you read the whole chapter, that Jesus was actually, uh, he, did, he did miracles on the multitudes. There were many miracles that Jesus was performing. And these guys have the nerve to ask him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Well, what do you think he's been doing the whole time? Sign after sign after sign. This is not, this is not the first such request. Jesus had already performed so many miracles. He had, for instance, as I said, healed the man with the withered hand, healed the man who was both blind and mute. And so uh, his critics wanted to see something more. But they wanted to see something more because they wanted something that was grander. They wanted something that was more majestic. You know, they, they see the healing of the blind man. They see the healing of the man with the withered hand. They see the, you know, the, 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 the wedding feast at Cana and, and the filling up the pots with the, you know, with the new wine. They see all these different things happening. And people are starting to talk. People are starting to, to believe. And these guys are questioning him. Why? Because they wanted a, a little miracle wasn't good enough. I want to see something bigger. I want to see something better. Isn't that often kind of like our human tendencies? That, you know, people say, well, you know, Dave, it would be so much easier to be a Christian today if I could see for myself. If I could see the miracles. If I could see Jesus like Doubting Thomas, right? And, and put my hand in his side and see the, the scars on his hands and his feet. If I could hear Jesus' teachings. If I could see him in person. Then I'd be more apt to believe. Well, there were a lot of people who seen Jesus. For three years, they, 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 they looked at his ministry, they seen all that he did, and yet, did a vast majority of the world convert? Did a vast majority of the world become disciples of Jesus Christ? No! A vast majority of the world rejected Jesus. They seen the man in the flesh, they seen all that he was able to do, they heard his teachings, and they still walked away. So it's easy for us to say, well, if I could just see something bigger, if I could see something better, I'd be more apt to believe. And I really believe that these men, when they say, Teacher, show us a sign, these scribes and Pharisees, I really believe it was probably they're going back to the times of Moses. When God sent Moses, right, to free his people. And Moses goes before Pharaoh, right? Didn't he do all manners of signs and wonders? He used their gods in, in the plagues to attack them with their own gods that they worshipped, when you study that out. And so they were looking for something like what Moses did before Pharaoh. They wanted to see something bigger and better. 
Or maybe it was like Joshua. You guys remember the story of Jericho? Maybe they wanted to see something like Joshua and what happened in Jericho. You know, they didn't want to just see some run-of-the-mill miracle, even though none of them could do it. They wanted something bigger and better. And that oftentimes is our human tendencies. We want to see something bigger and better. And, and, and I'll, I'll believe. I'll be all in. But brethren, just know that there are those who've seen bigger and better. There are those who've seen all that Jesus had done and yet still rejected him. Jesus responded by telling them, brethren, that the only sign that they could expect to see is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. What the Jewish leaders have not figured out yet, and many of them still to this day have not figured out, that, that Jesus has not come to conquer the land like Joshua did, like he did at Jericho. Jesus didn't come uh, to, to do all kinds of uh, uh, things like Moses did before Pharaoh in the sense that he came to be like Jonah. He said the only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. How he spent three nights, uh, three days and three nights in the heart of the sea. And so he came, Jesus, to call people to repentance. That was what Jonah did. He goes, I didn't come to be like Joshua and conquer the world. He says, I came to be like Jonah and call mankind to repentance. And so what is the sign of Jonah as we break this down? Consider what happened to Jonah. Jonah, he was, a, he was as good as dead, was he not? He was as good of dead be, as dead because of his disobedience. And from within the fish, he cries out to God in this next passage of Scripture. And look at what it says on the screen behind me. In Jonah chapter 2, in these first four verses, we're going to see Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the great fish. He prays to the Lord, uh, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol, and he heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Well, brethren, what do we notice here in Jonah chapter 2? Jonah was buried... And he felt, he felt like he was God forsaken. He was buried in the belly of the fish in the heart of the sea, and he felt that God had banished him from his presence. Now I want you to compare that with what we know about Jesus and what happened to Jesus. Well, Jesus, he was as good as dead, was he not? I mean, did he not, was he not crucified? Did they not put a spear into his side? And blood and water had come forth, signifying death. Well, we know that he was as good as dead. He was placed into the tomb because of disobedience. But not his disobedience, because of our sin. Because of our disobedience. And so, brothers and sisters, he too cried out to God. He too thought maybe he was abandoned for a minute. Because in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, the scriptures tell us, About the ninth hour, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He says, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, you look at the story of Jesus, you look at the story of Jonah, and we know from the ensuing events, we know that neither Jonah nor Jesus were abandoned by God. We know that. But ask yourself, Ask yourself how the events of Jonah and Jesus affected the people of the first century, and what does that really mean, and how does it affect us here in the 21st century? For the people of Jonah, or the people of Nineveh, I'm sorry, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
at, at the preaching of Jonah and his resurrection as he was expelled from the belly of the great fish, as he was uh, cast forward from the sea and almost resurrected to life. Because think about it, he was as good as dead. And so notice what Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41 says. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and we will condemn it and, and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is now here. You see, brothers and sisters, the first time the people in Acts chapter 2 heard that first gospel sermon preached by Peter, after they came and they thought to all the, the disciples, they thought the apostles were drunk. And he says, how can we be drunk? It's the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. We haven't even went to morning prayer yet in the, in the temple. And you think we're drunk? And so he says, we are not drunk. And then all of a sudden, you have the, you know, just masses of people, hundreds of thousands of Jews from around the world, descended upon uh, Jerusalem for the Passover, for Pentecost. And they hear these men speaking in their own native tongues. And they say, how are these, are these not Galileans? How is it that we then hear them speaking in our own tongues? And so, brethren, all of a sudden, Peter begins to preach the first, what we call oftentimes is the first gospel sermon. And he goes back and he gives a brief history lesson. He talks about Jesus' teachings. He talks about the miracles that were performed. He talks about the, uh, the crucifixion. He talks about the, uh, the resurrection. He talks about all these things. And he pricks them in the hearts because the people knew that the things that he was saying were absolutely true because they witnessed it. And they actually, the Jews were the ones crying out. They were the ones crying out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Don't you think some of those people standing there probably remembered yelling those words? Don't you think they probably had some guilt in their stomach, in the pit of their stomach? And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, brethren, that some of those individuals, those who had received Peter's words were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls to the kingdom. 3,000 souls were added to the church, as you know, as you go down and you look at verse 47. Day by day, God, the Father, was adding those to the kingdom, those who were being saved. And so, brothers and sisters, the sign of Jonah, it consists of his resurrection from the, uh, from the belly of the great sea monster. And that corresponds to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the very grave. I also want you to ask yourself here this morning, what is the, what is the importance of the sign of Jonah? What is the importance of the resurrection? Well, in Jonah's case, it just means that uh, it means uh, power unto salvation. It was the power unto his uh, resurrection, which was the power unto his salvation. If God had allowed Jonah to flee Tarshish and just says, you know what, you want to go? Well, then go. Well, then no doubt, there's absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind that Jonah would have been eternally condemned. He would have been lost and he would have died in the belly of the great fish. It was also the power of Nineveh's conversion. Why? Because as Jonah comes forward, we see that this reluctant preacher with a bad attitude finally makes his way to Nineveh, reluctantly preaches, but has great success. Well, why did he have great success? Why? Because the death and the resurrection, so to speak, of Jonah took him to Nineveh, and no doubt the story that he probably told of these events had, it gave power to his message. And it gave power to his message, and the people could see that, and so they turned away from sin. They repent, a pagan Gentile people repented and turned unto God for a time. 
Now we know that it didn't last long and eventually they went back into a life of sin and eventually they were condemned. But for a moment, for a moment, brethren, there was power in the resurrection of Jonah. There was power in salvation. And so in Jesus' case, brethren, obviously it meant new life. So you looked at Jonah, we look at Jesus, and we know that what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for us, it gives us newness of life. We're baptized, and, and then we're clothed with Christ in newness of life, and we're raised to newness of life. It also meant that that new life for his disciples, and it meant that never again did they have to doubt whether or not they were saved. That's why 1 John talks about uh, chapter 5 and verse 13. It talks about uh, John saying, I'm writing these things to you so you can know that you are saved. So you can know that you have salvation. And brethren, that same uh, message that John wrote to the church before his death, it still applies today. You don't have to be wishy-washy. You can know that you are saved. There's power in the resurrection unto salvation. In, in, in Jesus' resurrection, and likewise we will be resurrected. That's why we talked about in Bible study this morning that you have to believe, you have to trust the promises of God. And if Jesus resurrected, if he went to prepare a place, he will come again and bring us to where he is. Brothers and sisters, people of their day were convicted because of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were uh, convicted because of the power that is in the resurrection. And through centuries and centuries and centuries, millennium, millions and millions of people have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Millions of people have become children of God, have been added to the kingdom, and God and salvation through the preaching was added unto them. Brothers and sisters, ask yourself, what does all this mean for a 21st century individuals? We know what it meant for the first century, but what does it mean for 21st century individuals? It means that Jesus is truly the Son of God. You remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Rome in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4? He told them, he says, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. This means that all of Christ's claims are true. And we can believe and trust in all that Jesus says. Brothers and sisters, brethren, Jesus is with us even when we feel that God has forsaken us. Even in our darkest days, our darkest moments, even with the, with the worst medical diagnoses, Jesus is with you. You have salvation. You don't have to guess if you're saved as long as you're living according to the will of God. If you're walking in the commandments of God. Jesus is with us even if you may feel forsaken. Jesus has the power to impart new life to his followers. Brethren, I, I need you to never forget something. And that is very simply that there is power in the resurrection to save. How do I know that? Because the scriptures teach me that. As a 21st century Christian, baptism saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because notice what Peter had to say in 1 Peter chapter 3. He tells us starting in verse 20. We once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, what does it say on the screen? Say it. Say it as a congregation. Say it like you mean it. What does baptism do? Baptism now saves you. 
Is there power in the resurrection? Notice what I keep saying. Not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is there power in the gospel? Is there power in the resurrection until salvation? Absolutely. Who is Now it says that who is at the right hand of God, having gone to heaven after the angels and the authorities and the powers have been subjected to Jesus. Brethren, as 21st century Christians, those who share in Jesus' death through faith and repentance also share in Jesus' resurrection. How do I know that? Because it also tells me that in Romans chapter 6. Where the Apostle Paul said to the people of Rome in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 through 5, he tells us, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, the resurrection, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be uh, united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Brethren, just a couple more passages before I close this down. Because as 21st century Christians, brethren, having the promise of a resurrection, having the promise of eternal life, it means nothing, uh, it means that nothing we do to, uh, for God is in vain. I know this because that's what Paul told the people of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When you look at the 58th verse of the 1 Corinthians of chapter 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your toil is what? It's not in vain. And so having the promise of the resurrection, having the promise of eternal life, it means that nothing we do to get for God or for the kingdom or for the congregation is in vain. And so, brothers and sisters, never forget that God also hates sin. God doesn't want anyone to, uh, to perish. He is looking for all people to be resurrected in newness of life. But he also knows that's not the case. But notice what Jesus said anyways. Jesus gave some instructions before Jesus left. And he ascended back into heaven. We talked about this in Bible class this morning. He says, brethren, he says, disciples, brethren, apostles, you need to do what? You need to go out into all the world and do what? Make disciples. You need to go out into all the world and teach the gospel. You need to go there and you need to make disciples. You need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, brethren, that is the gospel. That is the, that is the mission to take the gospel into the world and to do all that Jesus has commanded us and to uh, teach others to, do, to obey all that he has commanded. And so, brethren, as I close this down here in a minute, Jonah preached to a heathen nation. Jonah preached to a pagan people whom the Jews hated. There was no love lost between the Ninevites and the Jews. And yet he goes there and his teachings were foreshadowing the mission of Jesus and his teachings and the law of Christ. The little book of Jonah tells us of the gospel is for everyone in the world. Why did God send, why did God send one of his prophets to a heathen people? It was foreshadowing what Jesus would do with the gospel of Jesus Christ to take it out into all the world. To the Jews first to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. 
Brethren, it is the task of the church of Christ to carry the message of the world, to take the message out into the world, as Jonah also went to Nineveh. And so as I close this down, the sign of Jonah is the, the sign of Jonah is the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jonah from the sea, from the belly of the great fish, corresponds to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And when those uh, people, the Pharisees and the scribes, were asking for a sign in Matthew chapter 12, he says, no sign will be given to you except the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Brethren, we rest upon our faith in the power of Jesus to raise the dead. And as we look forward to the final resurrection, we look forward to the resurrection of our spiritual bodies. You see, all that are in the graves will rise first when, when Christ returns. And then those who are left behind, those will be divided up between the sheep and the goats. The goats will be cast into eternal fire. And those of the sheep, those who have been holy and righteous and living according to the will of the Lord, will be welcomed into the heavenly realm. Brethren, there is power in the resurrection, but only to those who trust and obey. Only to those who trust and obey, and only to those who are willing to obey the gospel. So I have a question for you if you're here this morning. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? What is the gospel? I gave a, uh, my Bible class a couple Sunday mornings ago a, a, a little survey question. I said, if you want to go and ask some people some different things, I want you to ask them this. What is the gospel? Don't just ask anybody and everybody. Anybody who claims Christianity, ask them what the gospel is. You'd be surprised how many people don't know what the gospel is and that they need to obey it. So I ask you the question, have you obeyed the gospel this morning? Have you been baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection, right? Why are we baptized? To, to basically reenact the, 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 the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We die to self when we realize the sin in our lives, and we, are, we confess Jesus. We're then buried in water like Jesus was buried. We're raised in newness of life like I showed you in Romans chapter 6. And we have our sins washed away. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God adds us to the kingdom. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If that is your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.